Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, if you're new with us, or if you're not, we just recently started a sermon series through the book of Matthew after a summer in the Old Testament. And it works really well together because we, uh, as we studied the Old Testament, we kind of looked through the lens of the gospel, which means this whole time, the whole book of, or the whole Old Testament was all foreshadowing Jesus, the one who would come and rescue the world. And in each book, we saw pictures of Jesus, and it was really awesome uh, study. And then, starting this fall, we thought how appropriate it would be after all that ante- anticipation in the Old Testament leading to Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, to start in the book of Matthew and journey through that together. Uh, Matthew is sort of a biography of the life of Jesus, but not a complete and comprehensive biography, but mainly of his ministry, which is the last three years of his life. Granted, there are glimpses of, of Jesus um, in his story from the at birth and as a young person, but most of it covers his ministry from age 30-ish till his death. So that's kind of where we're at. I recently got to preach in the book of Joel about maybe four weeks ago or something, and that was the last Old Testament book we did coming into the book of Matthew. And uh, in the, in the uh, well, the Minor Prophets, granted, and in the Minor Prophets, there's some pretty cool passages that talk about the arrival, the advent of Jesus. And not just that, but some of the things that would happen when Jesus Came, and that is that there would be a messenger who would precede Jesus, a messenger who would announce the arrival of Jesus, a messenger who would make a way for Jesus, make straight the path for Jesus so that people uh, who have been expecting this promised one, this Messiah for thousands of years would say, okay, that's him. We, we know the signs, we know the clues, we know what to look for, and, and here it is. So we have John the Baptist. One of those prophecies comes from Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 3. You don't need to turn there, I'll read it to you. It says this, listen, it's the voice of someone crying in the wilderness. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Another one from Malachi chapter 3 says, look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, speaking of Jesus, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. Continues on in chapter 4. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. The prophet Elijah spoken of here is John who would take up the ministry of Elijah. So John the Baptist, who we're looking at today, is 
the one who would precede Jesus, who would prepare hearts for Jesus. Or like in Malachi, it says, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. He was the one who would warn people, who would get people ready that Jesus is here. After all this anticipation, he was the one, and it was cool that it was his cousin. He was the one who God selected to say, hey, all this time, all this preparation, all this anticipation, and Jesus is finally here. And the cool part about that was because after the close of the Old Testament, there was 400 years of silence. So before that time, they had prophets telling them that this promised one, this Messiah would eventually come and eventually be here. And then the book of Malachi closes and there's 400 years of silence. And then the New Testament opens with John the Baptist saying, it's here, it's time, Jesus is here. If you've got your Bibles this morning, open to Matthew chapter 3. Some of you may be wondering what happened to Matthew chapter 2. And we will get back to Matthew chapter 2 next week. But uh, a few changes in our preaching schedule um, caused us to be in Matthew chapter 3 today, which I would say is, is a good text for us all together as a family service. So we'll jump back to, to Matthew chapter 2 next week, so bear with us. But it's going to be a, a great and exciting morning. Kids, we're so excited that you're here with us this morning, and, and uh, we've got a lot for you. So... Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read the verse, first 12 verses together. So let's pray, and then we'll read. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is, is truth, and uh, it speaks to our souls. And, and thank you that your word is a sword that cuts deep, God. I pray this morning that as we study together, as we open this book, your word together, that it would meet each person where they're at, and that each person here this morning would, would hear something, would hear your spirit speaking directly to their hearts from the reading of your word. God, we pray and ask that you would do only what you can do, and that is change hearts to follow you, to love you, to look more like you. So God, be with us this morning. Bless your word as it goes forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when said, The voice of one crying into the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts with wild honey. Pause there. Kids, in your little activity bags, you have some paper. We want to see your portraits of John the Baptist. All right, so here are the, the, the clues for you. Here are the, the hints you get for your portraits. And like we've done in the past, we've collected those at the end when the basket comes around, and we've put them up on the screen for everyone to see your awesome art. So we want to see your pictures of John the Baptist. So here's what he looked like. He wore a garment of camel's hair. So his clothes was made out of camel's hair, okay? So you've got to incorporate that into your picture. There's a little bit of a, a clue up on the screen. That might be what he looked like. Who knows? It's the best the internet, the internet could do, though. So John wore a garment made out of camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. 
and his food was locusts and wild honey. So you got to draw a picture of him wearing this camel hair outfit, dipping bugs into honey and eating it. We want to see that. It's going to be great. And hopefully next week we can uh, project those up onto the screen. Uh, So yes, we would love to see your artwork. You've got some blank pages in your activity bags. There are activity bags in the back, parents, if you want to get in on this art contest. It's going to be awesome. So that's John the Baptist. Okay, so he came, and and side note, interesting fact. If you look in, um, I forget which passage it is, but talking about Elijah and his ministry, uh, it describes him exactly the same way, that he came wearing this getup, this outfit with the leather belt and the camel's hair. And, And in Malachi, it says that Elijah would come back, and John the Baptist fulfills that prophetic ministry. So John came, verse 4, and he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Stop there. So John was the messenger If you're following in the notes, John was the messenger to precede Jesus. And there are many prophecies to validate his ministry, to confirm his ministry. So when when word got out, like, is this Elijah? Is this the prophet we've been waiting for? Is this the one who's going to usher in the Messiah? John got popular and and his preaching became popular for, for one reason or another, whether it's the Pharisees and Sadducees who hated what he was doing or it was other people who, who, who got it right and were looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Uh, John started to get a crowd and he started to get a group of people who were coming to him and, and seeing what this crazy camel skin buggy and guy was doing. And, and when they got there, they would see him baptizing people and they would see him And they would hear his message. They would hear him preaching. So if you're following in the notes, what was his message? What was he preaching? And his message was this. His message was that of repentance. John the Baptist, when he gained this audience, he used it well to speak of the fact that Jesus is coming. He's on the way. And our hearts need to be prepared for him. Our hearts need to be ready for this Jesus, this Messiah, the promised one that our hope is in, that we've been looking forward to. He, he taught repentance. He preached repentance. So what is repentance? Repentance is a changing of your mind which results in a changing of your actions, simply put. Uh, in the video that we watched at the beginning, I loved it. It said simply, it's, it's turning around. And not just that, but it, it follow, your actions follow your heart. So repentance is a change that takes place in your heart that results in you turning away from whatever you were pursuing towards Jesus. So it's really turning around, walking away from sin, and that same turn, that same 
change is the act of you pursuing and walking towards Jesus. So it's walking away from sin and walking towards Jesus. And I always love illustrating it simply by walking towards the cross, right? We were walking this way, and repentance is is a change that results in our turning towards Jesus, towards his cross. Wayne Grudem, theologian, in his book, uh, Bible Doctrine, defines repentance as this. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. So it's sorrow for sin. It's renouncing sin. It's saying, I am done with it. It's over. I, will, I, I don't want to go back to doing what I was doing that was dishonoring to God, but instead I want to walk away from it. And it's a commitment to forsake it and then walk towards Jesus. Walk in obedience towards Christ. So there's a difference between repentance and just feeling sorry, right? Because saying sorry... And, and, and without the action of running away from what it was that you were involved with in doing beforehand doesn't amount to much at the end of the day. But what God's after is a sincere, heartfelt change that takes place here that works its way out. And this was John's message. John's message was to get right with the Lord, to, 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 to walk away from our sin and to walk towards Jesus. And the result of it was this, that many people came, and, they con- and the Bible says they, were, they came confessing their sins. So they, this message cut to the heart, and the result of it was that people felt the conviction from the Lord, and they realized, I do need to get right with God. And they confessed their sins, and John baptized them. Maybe that's where some of us are at this morning. Maybe some of us need to hear the message that is, I've been away from the Lord and it's time to get right with the Lord. It's time to get back on track with what the Lord has for my life. I've, I, I, I know the message. Of, I, 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 I've heard it. I've grown up in this. Um, I, I hear it in Sunday school class all the time that, that, that Jesus wants to be my friend and, and that there's a sin problem. And and in order for this relationship to work, I need to put my faith, put my trust in Jesus and to walk away from my sin. And maybe today, that's the message that that some of us need to hear. And, And the result, just like it was for John's audience, for us would be to confess our sins before the Lord and to pursue Him again with our whole hearts. Right? So that was John's message. John was given a very interesting mission by God. Even before he was born, it says that the Holy Spirit was on John's life. And John's mission, if you're following in the notes, was to prepare the way for Jesus. John's mission was to prepare the way for the Lord. So he was the messenger that came before Jesus. He was, he was the, the indicator that Messiah is here. His message was repentance and his mission What God built him for, what God made him for, was to prepare the way for the Lord. Was to prepare the way for the Lord. And and how did John do this? Um, He made his life about Jesus, right? In so many different ways, as we read through more of the the Gospel of Matthew and and look at other passages where, where John the Baptist is, even to his death, John made his life 
about Jesus. That isn't to say he had his, his shortcomings and his flaws and his doubts, but John, cousin of Jesus, made his life about Jesus. And in everything he did, he pointed to Jesus. Listen to this. Look at verse 11 and verse 12 in Matthew chapter 3. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So Jesus said, or excuse me, John said, I baptize, I have a baptism of repentance, but the one we're actually looking forward to, the one who will baptize with the Spirit, he's coming. Jesus is on the way. Don't look at me. Look to Jesus. He's on his way. He will baptize with the Spirit. And and Jesus is so much greater that his sandal I am not even worthy to carry. So John, his mission was to prepare the hearts of people for Jesus to come. And the way he did that was by pointing to Jesus, by making his life about Jesus. Maybe that's the message some of us need to hear today. Is our life about Jesus? Is every aspect of our life about Jesus? Um, Is our message, the things we say about Jesus, is our mission, our family mission, our personal mission about Jesus? Saying, there's one who can give us hope. There's one who wants us. There is one who is worthy. There is one who is greater than this world. And John's ministry came into full focus in this confrontation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When they came because they heard of John and they heard of what he was doing and the fact that he was drawing a crowd and people were starting to talk, is, is this the one? Is this? And some even thought John was the one who would come the Messiah, and John was really clear to say, no, he is still to come. He's on his way. He's almost here. You can see him in the horizon. But nonetheless, John drew a crowd in his baptism, in his preaching, and part of that crowd was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And his ministry was on full display when they came because now they're just like they did with Jesus. They were scrutinizing his every action to see who this guy was. Is he going to usurp our religious authority? Is he going to usurp our political authority? What is this guy doing? What does he think he's doing? And John is, is sure to call them out by saying, you brood of vipers, who warned you of the wrath to come? Why are you guys here? We all know that your hearts are far from God. We know that you're not here for the right reasons. So John's ministry, as he would do this, as he would baptize, they would question him like the same they did with Jesus. What, by what authority is this man doing this? And whether they were there for intrigue or mad, John kept on with his ministry. So in the notes, if you're following, number four is this, that John's ministry was A, preaching and, and baptism. John's ministry was baptism and preaching. So baptism. And we see him go on to baptize his cousin Jesus, the Messiah, the one who is to come. So, 
he preached repentance and then he baptized the bible says according to repentance he baptized according to repentance so that means when people came and they realized i'm far from god i need god back in my life john would would baptize them symbolically as they went under to to show that they have left their old ways, their old sins, and have been raised to new life. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and he even foreshadowed Jesus' baptism that was to come. So that begs the question, what is baptism? And we want to talk a little bit about this today. What is baptism? Uh, so for us as believers, we believe that Christians should be baptized. Is it necessary for salvation? Uh, no. But it is a command from God, nonetheless, for believers to be baptized. And, uh, and baptism is a symbolic display of an inward transformation that took place in your life as a Christian. So as to publicly declare that we have been crucified with Christ as we're dipped down in the water and raised to new life with new with excuse me, raised to new life with Christ. And as one of the ordinances that we as Christians believe and try to do, we believe that baptism is important, that baptism is good for us, and that as believers we should partake in baptism. Uh, it's a step of obedience. It's a step of faith. It's, it identifies us with Jesus, and it unites us with his church. Uh, for more on baptism, we've got uh, little handouts that are in the lobby, and it just kind of talks about a little bit more about what we believe. But for the purposes of today, I would say baptism is a symbolic step in obedience that identifies us with the life, death, and resurrection with Jesus, and that we should be baptized. So, that to say this, I'm gearing up for something. Are you with me? Um, we're having some baptism uh, services in the next few weeks. I think starting October 13th and then for a week or two after that. Uh, every once in a while, as, as people say, I've trusted in Jesus and I want to be baptized, we will schedule these baptism services. And then we'd like to invite anybody who's put their faith, who have put their trust in Jesus to be baptized. So I think the next one is October 13th, and there will be a couple more after that. And in, in those, we would say, if you have not been baptized, whether you're young or whether you're older, we would invite you to take that step of faith. I know there are many obstacles, many um, reasons why we'd say, ah, it, that ship has sailed for me, or I don't need to be baptized. I've been a Christian for um, a lot of years, and, and whatever the case may be, I would invite you to say, whatever obstacle you think that there, there might be to have a discussion about it, and maybe the Lord would have you be baptized. Um, when I was about eight or nine, my family started going to church. We had moved here from uh, New Mexico. My mom got a job here at the hospital, and we packed up and moved. And, and part of that move was just to see if we can kind of restart our family because there was some marital struggles between my, my parents and and. Obviously, to reconcile that, uh, you need a geographic um, change, right? Not really. But, but anyways, that was the thinking. So we moved here, and the next step in that process is, okay, uh, we need to fix some things. Let's, let's start going to church. Church is going to fix things. And um, sh maybe, but there are steps that precede just 
jumping into church, right? So me as a young Christian, I, I started going to church with my, or not as a young Christian, excuse me, I was not a Christian yet. Uh, as a young person, I started going to church with my family, and it didn't mean much to me. I, I, I wasn't really uh, hearing the message until uh, some, some young men, some young middle school guys about when I was about 10 or 11 years, they invited me to some youth group events, and I got really plugged into my youth group. I still was not a Christian at this point. However, these group of, of kids were my friends, and I didn't have many friends. So to have that community, to have that group of friends, a, a group of people that said, yes, we'll be your friends, and we want to hang out, and we want to do some things, come to this youth group church thing with me, or come to this uh, event with me. I said, yes, sign me up. But there was no change that took place in my heart yet the only change that took place is that i wanted friends and and these weird church people um filled that need for me uh, of having friends so i started going to church and i started going through the motions and um i went to church camp at about the age of 11 still was not a christian um but at the end of the week at the end of church camp they did a, a spontaneous baptism service and all my friends went down and got dunked in the lake. And I was like, oh, man, everyone's getting baptized. I need, to, I need to do whatever they're doing. I need to do that. Still, not a Christian. No heart change that took place in my life. But everyone was doing it. And, and these are my friends. And these guys took me in. So I went and I got baptized as, as an 11-year-old. And, and, and I know that for a lot of people, that's a great age where, 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 they, where kids and, and people and a lot of you have made the decision um, to follow Christ and submit to him. But just for me, my personal story, I, I wasn't there yet. It was merely a thing of acceptance for me. It was merely a thing of, I'm going to go with the flow and do what everyone else was doing. And you know how it is at the, end of a, at the end of Christian camp. The emotions are high, you know, and the kids are just, everyone's, um, you know, saying stuff. And that was me, right? So I got baptized. I continued to, to not live for Jesus for years after that. And it wasn't until about my junior year of high school, and I stayed plugged in with youth group, but it wasn't until about my junior year of high school, early junior year, where through tragedy and, and a lot of um, unfortunate events in life, the Lord really drew me to himself. And the Lord saved me. And I became a Christian at, at around the age of 16, right? And it became real for me. And my heart changed. And, and, and there was real conviction over my sin and heartfelt sorrow, and, and there was a desire to follow Jesus, and to pursue him, and to forsake sin, and it all became very real for me, and I had realized that before that, you know, yes, the Lord was preparing my heart in those times, but nothing, no change in my heart had happened yet, but my junior year of high school, I, I became a Christian, and it was awesome. Everything for me at that point changed in my life for the better, as the Lord drew me to himself, um, so fast forward about another year and a half to my, or another year rather, um, to my senior year, I got an awesome opportunity to go on a trip to Israel with my church family. And I think I was 17 and we were there and, and I had been a, a real Christian now, like the Lord saved me, changed my heart. And I'd been walking with him for about a year and it was real. And we went down to the Jordan river where Jesus was baptized, where John was doing these baptisms, and I felt, man, I was already, I was baptized, it was good, and um, so I was watching these happen, and my pastor approached me, and he knew my story, and he knew who I was, and he said, I, th I think you should be baptized today, what do you say? 
And I said, uh, you know, I kind of explained to him, you know, my, my journey. And um, I thought, you know, I, I would, I, I want to do this in what better place than the Jordan River in Israel as a real Christian to be baptized for me. Uh, I'm going to show a picture real quick. Don't, don't laugh too hard, but this is um, my baptism picture from, I think, 2017. I didn't choose the white dress. Um, that's standard. They make you, they make you wear that. I don't know why it's got to be white when you're going in the water, but it's, it's a thing of purity. Um, I couldn't find many other pictures besides this because I didn't have a phone that takes pictures at that time. But this is my baptism. And, and for me, it was that turning point about a year after I became a Christian for real. The Lord changed my heart. I put my faith in him. I repented of my sins and I started the journey of walking with him. And I had this amazing once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be baptized where Jesus was baptized. And, and that's just kind of a picture of, of, of baptism. I was united with Christ. I was identified with him in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And I was brought up to new life. And I would say from that point on is when um, God started calling me into ministry. God started to work in my life in many different ways, and, and my, my, my love for people and my love for the Lord really intensified from, from that point, um, from really becoming um, a Christian and, and walking with Him. So, John comes and he has this baptism, this baptism of repentance. The Pharisees are mad about it. You can go back to the John slides, so that's not distracting for the rest of the time. Um, John's got this message. The leaders pull up there to see what all the hype is about. They challenge John. John challenges them back. John continues on with his message of repentance. He continues on with his mission to prepare the way for the Lord. He continues on with his ministry of baptism and preaching. And then finally, this moment comes that they've all been waiting for. In verse, um, or this moment that they've all been waiting for, Jesus comes. Jesus arrives. And John is even noted saying, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus was baptized. So if you still have your hand in the chapter 3, we're going to continue reading. Verse 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus comes up, and he comes down to where John is baptizing, and Jesus wants to be baptized by John. And this is so backwards in John's thinking. Right? He's thinking, I'm supposed to be preparing a way for you. I'm supposed to be getting hearts of people ready for you, and you want to be baptized by me? 
So why was Jesus getting baptized? Because John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And as far as I know, Jesus, perfect God, holy Savior of the world, has no sins to repent of, right? So in the book of Matthew, we're going to study, and just like the songs we sang this, sang this morning in our, our verses, is that Jesus is king, and he's coming to establish his kingdom. He's coming to establish a group of people, a community of people who would carry out his mission in the world. And his kingdom, his group of believers, his community, his followers, will often will be referred to as, as disciples and his followers and whatnot. But his kingdom as we read in the Gospels, will often be referred to as an upside-down kingdom. Are, are many of you familiar with this terminology, Jesus' upside-down kingdom? It's the idea, and that's, that's our, our title up there. It's this idea that Jesus does things backwards, right? Jesus does things um, differently than we would think he would do things. So instead of retaliation, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And in this instance, people come and... and would anticipate, man, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior of the world, and I, I want to touch his garments. I want to be near Jesus. If I could be baptized by Jesus, that would be awesome. But Jesus comes, and, and he wants to be baptized by John. Yesterday, I was at a cross-country race um, in Portland, and it was a, a big Nike event, and there was, a, um, there was a, an athlete there, a, a pro athlete, a pro runner, and the line to see this guy was so long. Just to get him to sign a piece of paper, he was like some stud in high school, I think. And he still has records for like the fastest 5K in, in high school sports. And anyways, he was a Nike professional athlete. And, and just to, the line for all these students who idolize him to see him um, was spectacular. And, and kids waited for hours to see this guy. So in, in this thinking, like, we've been... In the, in the Bible, we've been waiting for Messiah, the promised one, for, for thousands of years. The promise of hope and restoration for Israel and for the world is here. And here he comes. And he asks to be baptized by John. It seems so backwards. So Jesus wasn't baptized a repentant sinner. So why was Jesus baptized? A couple of a couple of ideas, or a couple of thoughts from that we see from Scripture is that, um, as Jesus said, to fulfill what the prophets said about us, Jesus' baptism validated John's prophetic ministry as the messenger who would precede the Messiah, preparing the way for him. So Jesus was baptized to validate what John did so as to fulfill prophecy. Secondly, he identified himself with the people, Right? John's preaching was so that people can symbolically be baptized to identify themselves with God in, in, in repentance. And, and Jesus did it to identify himself with the people. The Bible tells us that Jesus knows what it's like to be human in certain ways. So he did this to identify himself with the people he was after. Jesus was baptized. We should be too, right? Uh, Jesus' baptism symbolically foreshadowed his own life, death, and resurrection. His baptism foreshadowed that he would live perfectly, his life on earth, spotless, clean, and that he would die for our sins, and that he would be raised again to new life. 
And not only that, there's this beautiful scene that takes place at Jesus' baptism where we actually use, or excuse me, where we, um, we actually see the whole Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in, in one location at the same time. So when we study the doctrine, the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, we come to this passage and we see how these four persons, or excuse me, these three persons of the Holy Spirit come together as one. And, and we see the, the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each presence in this scene. And this is one of the foundational texts we go to when we try to unpack the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, more on that later. When we do baptisms, we're going to look at this text a little bit more in depth. But um, this, in this beautiful scene... Jesus' baptism confirms his identity as Messiah, as the Savior. His baptism confirms his identity as the Trinity is all there taking place in this event. So we see Jesus himself, the man, being baptized. We see the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove, and we hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well So Jesus' baptism is confirmed so that all those present, I wonder what the reaction of the Pharisees and Sadducees was like in that scene, if they were still around and what and how they reacted to that. That's that's really hard to dispute, isn't it? When the whole Trinity is there confirming what's happening here. So the Trinity. This is foundational to our, our Christian belief system. We're monotheists. We believe in one God, right? But yet you see God revealed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as you read scripture, you never see the word Trinity come up, but you see the idea taught time and time again all throughout scripture. So uh, again, to quote theologian Wayne Grudem, the Trinity is this, God, one God, eternally exists as three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, Yet there is one God. Make sense? We got it? All right, good. So a couple common um, misunderstandings of the, of the Trinity is, is, is one called tritheism, and that is, oh, well, obviously there, there are three different gods. We see that explicitly in Christian. The Holy Spirit definitely is God. The Father definitely is God, and Jesus is definitely in God. That must mean there are three gods. But yet this confusing doctrine in our limited brain capacity teaches that Yes, we do see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God in Scripture, but yet there is one God, one God. And again, we're going to get to some more of this in a couple weeks when we do our baptism ceremony, so stick with me. Another misunderstanding of the Trinity is called modalism, and that is there's one God, but he shows up as one of the three. As he, he'll, he'll show up as the Father, he'll show up as the Son, or he'll show up as the Holy Spirit. And um, we see that's not correct as we see all three persons of the trinity at this scene at the baptism Um, but often it's an easy way to describe it it's like oh yeah god is ice or god is water or god is steam right that's how we understand god but this is also um, a not correct way of representing who god is as he revealed himself as the triune god of the bible so why is this important well it's foundational to what we believe as christians and in the text it's foundational because we see that 
Jesus, the one we've been anticipating, the one we've been waiting for, the, the Savior, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world, we see sort of the stamp of approval as the Father and the Spirit descend on him and as he starts his public ministry, right? So, a few ways to respond as we take all that in. Um, Number one, John the baptizer speaks of the one who is coming who will baptize with the Spirit. And that means simply this, that when we get saved, when Jesus saves us, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It means that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, comes to make his residence in our heart, right? And, and as Christians, each one of us, whether we realize it or not, because sometimes we stifle what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life, but that's another subject. But as Christians, each one of us has the presence of God within us, in our hearts. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist, or, um, he, his preparing people for Jesus, says that one is coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So I want to say, have you been brought in to the family of God? Do you have the Holy Spirit living within you? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you turned away from your sins? Um, We'd love to create an opportunity for you to do that this morning. Um, There's typically people up here during the the last song or so, and that's an awesome time to come and say, that's me. I want to trust in Jesus. I want to turn away from my sins. I want to be brought into the family of God and say yes to Jesus for the first time today. So that might be the first one for you. And this is what John speaks about when he says, one is coming who will baptize with the Spirit. Have you been brought into the family of God? Secondly is this. um, Have you been water baptized as a step of obedience in your relationship with Christ? Like I said, October 13th and October 20th, we're going to have some baptism ceremonies. Um, It's not too late to want to to participate in that. And what we would do is we'd um, connect with you, have a conversation. If it's a someone younger, we'd say, hey, parents, um, have that conversation with your kid. Uh, do they understand what's going on here? Have they trusted in Jesus? And, and that's awesome. That's great. We'd love to participate with you in that. If it's someone who thinks, man, I haven't been baptized, but I've been walking with Jesus forever, we'd love to baptize you. We'd love to participate in this ceremony. And, and it's something we can all celebrate together, the work of Jesus in our lives. So there are two opportunities coming up in October, the 13th and the 20th. We have a, a baptismal after this one broke or whatever so we have we have one it's ready it functions and we'll we'll bring it out here and we'll 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 dunk you and we'll be happy to do it um man i remember one time after i became a christian my last camp as a high schooler that i got to go to as a senior later that year after being baptized myself um we were at camp again and we um a couple kids i think two kids wanted to be baptized it was winter camp and we're like are you crazy so we called up their parents, and we made a big thing of it, and my youth pastor asked me to help with the baptisms. So we literally walked through the snow and broke through some ice, called parents up to camp, and we did some baptisms in, like, this icy creek, and it was awesome. So um, 
we will make a way for you to be baptized if you want to. So uh, just, you have a communication card in your bulletin or on the seat in front of you. Uh, if there's not a little check mark that says, I want to be baptized, make a little check mark that says, I want to be baptized. Um, like I said with the first one, if, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to be brought into the family, there's a check mark there, I think, that says, I said yes to Jesus. And we would love to call you and follow up with you on either of those two things. Um, and lastly, a way to respond is, is um, what we see in, in John's rebuttal to the Pharisees and, and, and Sadducees is this. He says something interesting. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying, if what you guys are doing outwardly is really true, then we want to see the fruit of your life. And that can only be produced from the inside out. So he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And, and maybe for you, for some of us in this room, it's that ongoing relationship with, with God. Uh, when I preached in the book of Joel a few weeks ago, one of the big major themes was, was repentance and, and how we will be battling. As Galatians 5 says, there's this battle between flesh and spirit that takes place in the Christian until we get home to heaven. And, and how we will frequently have to be turning away from sin. Um, and John calls it bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. When we baptize here, one of the questions that we ask is this, is it your desire to follow Jesus daily? And that's the idea. So maybe for some of us in this room, it's that idea of, of getting back on the horse and getting back in your relationship with Christ and, and following Jesus daily, bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. So there's a few different ways, and maybe the Lord's tugging on your heart in one of those ways, whether it's to, to, to be brought into the family of Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's to be water baptized. Maybe it's to just keep on keeping on in your relationship with Jesus. Whatever it is, I'm confident that the Lord's calling each one of us here this morning today. My question is, will you hear him? Will you quiet your heart before him to, to really listen? Um, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to, we're going to sing a song um, and just have an opportunity to think about that a little bit. We're going to have the communications cards go by, and um, you can fill that out however appropriately and put it back in the basket. Kids, we'd love to, if you want to put your pictures in that basket too, uh, do that. I'd love to see your artwork. But I'm going to pray for us, and um, then we'll go about our day. So Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Um, you're, you're God. You're the the perfect one, the holy one, the one promised, the one that we have our hope in. And I pray, God, that you would draw our hearts, every single person in this room this morning, God. Help us realize our, our need for you. Help us realize where in our life we can turn away from sin and trust even more in you. Help us, God, realize that you're the most important thing. You're the one who's greater. And God, I pray as we leave here this morning, this wouldn't be a, a message that goes in one ear and out the other. This wouldn't be a message that we forget by Monday morning, but that this would be something because it's your word that produces fruit in our lives, that has roots that sink down deep in our hearts, that we might grow, that we might look more like your son, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you do in our life 
what only you can do, would you draw us closer? Pray in your name, amen.